Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I'm your host, Brett Kane. You are tuning in to episode four. Uh, thank you for being here. It means a lot to me that you join me for this allotted time that we have together. Today I have a wonderful episode with a very inspiring human being that has offered me many years of not only inspiration, but knowledge and entertainment and... Uh, just overall, just, it's been a good influence. Um, this week, we're going to be sitting down with David Krantz, who is an epigenetics coach, as well as a musician, and just overall badass human being. He's really cool. He's got a lot of really interesting uh, fields of research, which we'll be getting into. We're going to be breaking down uh, what epigenetics are, as well as what the endocannabinoid system does, and uh, his work within that field, um, and how he helps coach people using their genetics to create wellness plans and routines and rituals that um, work with their actual biology. It's really fascinating stuff, and he's going to be able to explain it a lot better than I can. Um, before we get started with that, though, I just want to talk about, I just got done or got back from a wonderful week-long trip in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, of which I hail. Um, I'm almost a little hesitant to talk about it because it was so beautiful and I'm afraid to have a bunch of high traffic there, but I did the Porcupine Mountains and uh, pictured rocks and we hiked for probably around 30 miles and oh my god, I was gone without service for a week and it was so so needed oh man not having a uh, reception during uh the presidential debate was incredible <laughs> um i came back and i had a bunch of friends who were just like man you really don't want to listen to this and um you're like i was like yeah you're right i don't and i didn't <laughs> and uh yeah i just want to use that as a moment to really point out just how important it is to stay connected to nature um that's something that we cover in this episode a little bit but i really want to reiterate um the best ailment for anxiety and stress of the modern day is to be outside get some vitamin d in your life get some fresh crisp air even if it's getting a little chilly remember you are a terrestrial being with terrestrial needs and a big part of that is staying connected to the biosphere which we always are a part of but um, we sometimes forget while we're plugged into our electronic dopamine intake inhibitors uh like our computers so um yeah make sure to get outside uh go check out someplace new uh, if you use alltrails.com not a sponsor um they can link you up with any all the trails that are near you um it gives you like ratings of the trails it gives you the distance so you can plan for you have a day trip or a short trip um yeah alltrails.com really great uh, for finding new spots and uh you can uh you know take a sweetie there and go and fall in love under a waterfall or if there's no waterfalls at least find a big tree and you know give them a smooch whatever it takes uh yeah so without talking or embarrassing myself too much we are going to get into the episode uh like i said david is an epigenetics coach i don't know why i'm struggling to say that word epigenetics um and uh, we're going to go over what exactly that means. Uh, we had a really great talk that I think is really accessible. Uh, it's really easy for especially something in this field to maybe get a little jargony, but we really don't. And uh, we get pretty deep. So um, sit back, um, pour yourself some tea, 
um, maybe consumes some CBD products. We talk a little bit about that as well. And uh, open your hearts to David Krantz. Um, all of his information, as always, can be found in the description. So if you're interested in connecting or getting a coaching session, um, hook him up or hook yourself up. Look him up, you know, do the thing. Uh, until next time, uh, enjoy the show. And by the way, uh, the track you're hearing on the intro is called Agrothiate. I think that's how you say it. And this is actually David's project, Few Texture, which you can find in the description as well. Hello and welcome to uh, 21st Century Vitalism, man. Hey, thanks, Brett. It's a pleasure to be here and look forward to, to chatting here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, you were actually one of the, the first people um, that I had in mind, which is why you're episode four. Um, I've been soaking up your content for a little bit now. We've been Facebook friends for uh, maybe two, three years. I'm not really sure, roughly around there. But um, I've actually been consuming your work uh, since 2011, 2012. Um, when I first uh, heard of your work, you were a few texture, um, which you're still doing, um, which is the electronic music uh, pro uh, project that you have going on. And um, I ended up seeing you actually at Rootwire mm. in 2013. You were playing out on a giant bus, and it was, I think, like 3 or 4 p.m., I would have had you a little bit later, but I remember that as being one of the weirdest dance parties I've ever been a part of. Like just some of the most wild wiggling and jostling I've ever seen. And it was really cool. It was a really fun experience. Um, so what you're doing now is epigenetic coaching. So what I'm curious about is how did you go from psychedelic bass music into the world of I guess, science and like helping people with their wellness, what did that transition look like and what inspired you to get involved in that way? So I can give you the kind of short superficial answer, or I can give you the real in-depth, like truthful answer on that. And, you know, I, I haven't really spoken about the deeper aspects of how that kind of came to be, which really involved a lot of trauma and a lot of like, growth like kind of having to grow or or not um so i'll let you i'll let you choose and i have a feeling i'll choose the the more in-depth answer here but um you know i i think uh I, so yeah you have the choice there do you want yeah you want, oh man choose your own adventure i like it yeah. um yeah i mean i i like insider scoops i like uh detailed stories i think like something i want to do with this show is highlight that like times of transition are often projected by traumatic experiences um especially going off the last episode which is all about trauma um yeah I, i'm definitely down to hear your story man yeah so um yeah so you know between let's say 2009 and 2000 well like, like when you saw me that was kind of the in in 2013 that was really the time i was really heavily focused on electronic music production and 
I made the transition to coaching in 2015, 2016. And there was this couple of years, really 2014, 2015, where my life just kind of fell apart (laughs) and um, really prompted me to have to rebuild some things and sort of figure out who I was, who, you know, how to sort of get back to a place of, of normal functioning. (laughs) And a lot of it was prompted. So there, it was kind of a two pronged thing where, I had a number of really weird physiological things happen to me where I started passing out randomly. Um, Like I, yeah, like I would just like lose consciousness and it would be like, um, there was some identifiable triggers, but not really. It was pretty random. And I went and saw some cardiologists and doctors and they really didn't have much of an answer for me besides like, yeah, you're you know, have an overactive parasympathetic nervous system where like your, you know, your freeze response is showing up real hard. And Mm. that that's, that was on one side, you know, on the other side, I had uh, started a project with a video artist with a VJ and we were trying to get this project off the ground and it ended up being just an extremely toxic relationship. Like the dynamics emerged into something that like the the only way for me to frame it and understand what was happening eventually was to be was to look at like narcissistic abuse in romantic relationships as a template to be like wow this is what's happening to me i i all of a sudden think i'm a terrible person and i believe everything this person is saying about me and i know it's not true but i also do believe it and so between the emotional real devastation of like um, you know, trying to create something and we're both, we were both super talented, you know? So it was like the potential of what that could have been kept it going for probably longer than it should have on a, on a boundaries level. But it, um, but the, the dynamics in that partnership really just kind of stripped me to the core of like really figuring out, um, how I let myself get into that position, you know, and, and let myself, um, be subject to an abusive relationship, essentially, that was, yeah. um, you know, also a, like pretty embarrassing and, and shameful in a way, mm-hmm. because that's not something that typically happens in, or maybe it does more often than people talk about. But in creative partnerships, you know, that was something that at the time I was like, I, I, I don't even know how to talk about this. You know, I don't even know how to, um, how to express this outside of like a very small circle of friends that knew me really well. And so that's actually like I, you know, mentioned, I, I haven't really talked about this much publicly. You know, I've talked about the physiology side of it where, okay, I was having weird health problems, but it was extremely intertwined where I yeah. was under a lot of emotional stress and a, a lot of um, really difficult, um, you know, personal dynamics going on that were, was simultaneously exacerbating the you know whatever predispositions i had uh to the type of that type of nervous system dysfunction and so from 2014 to 16 or so um i really made it a point to just figure out how to get my body to work again figure out how to you know come to a place where i felt safe and you know healthy emotionally and really put myself 
in a position where I was like, all right, I either have to figure this stuff out or I'm just going to keep living like this. And I'm going to keep finding myself in, in unhealthy patterns with, you know, feeling out of control and betrayed by my body. And yeah. so I got really into uh, what I would call like the biohacking world, yeah. the realm of, of, you know, health and physiology and, and all that and, and the stuff that I use in my practice now. But it was really because uh, I needed to figure out how to get my body to work right and how to get my mind to function in a way where I felt like I knew myself again. And so that looked like a lot of therapy. It looked like a lot of changes in nutrition, looked like uh, a lot of changes in exercise habits and sleep habits and really was an entire over overhaul. You know, this was just for me first personally, right? Um, just so I could like not feel like shit all the time. And, uh, so, and, and I, I had a lot of success. I like, I, you know, it took me a couple of years, but I really, uh, did the work, um, at least the work that was required at that time. Yeah. And, um, I had this, what I would call just, you know, a, a synchronicity really that sort of put me on the, the path to, to what I'm doing now, where I was working at Moog Music building synthesizers because i had um you know decided like okay i, I need to just take a job i, I was making my full-time living from playing music previously and i was like all right i gotta just do something so i can like have something steady and stable like i kind of couldn't hack the the musician thing and and um just with all the stress and i was working at moog and i had listened to this podcast by this guy dan stickler who was a, a doctor kind of world-renowned uh nutrition expert and genetic expert and so his, his his whole thing was looking at how individual genetics affect nutrition and i got obsessed with his work and i listened to like every podcast episode he had, he had put out and then one day i was taking a walk on my lunch break and i realized that this logo was actually on the building next door. The same logo as the podcast was on the building next door and Whoa. realized that he had an office literally a hundred yards away from me. Dude, what? Yeah. Whoa. And so I immediately, you know, I first just wanted to get some blood work done by him and, you know, met him for a consultation. And it turned out that they actually were looking to hire someone who had an audio skill set. And an interest oh in health God. because his wife and the co-owner of the clinic, uh, she, she's an audiologist, and they had built this experimental sound chamber where they were using like this um, kind of three-dimensional speaker array that was arranged in a way where uh, when you're in the center of the room, it's like this really amazing sound bubble that's in the center. And it's like kind of a, a mini anechoic mm. chamber. And so they were looking for someone to like help develop programs for meditation and stress relief. And I was like, all right, I'm out of Moog. I'll see you later. Like, this is yeah. perfect. And so I started working with them. And um, right around that time, Dr. Stickler started to develop a training program for coaching and teaching his methodology of genetics and epigenetics, which we can kind of get into what that is. Mm -hmm. um, and I was there in the right place at the right time. And he looked at me and was like, hey, you've figured out a lot of stuff on your own. Like you've, you have, you've 
you know, implemented a lot of these principles in your own life and you, you kind of get it, like you probably make a pretty good coach. Do you want to let me, you know, train you? Do you want to basically be a beta tester of this? And I was like, eh. I'm not really a coach. I'm, you know, I, I very was I very much was identified as a musician, yeah, an artist at that point, and hadn't really made room for the possibility of anything else, right? Um, but you know, I kind of went with it eventually and, and trusted him and went through that training several times before he made it public and um, just kind of really happened to be in the right place at the right time to find a mentor like that. Yeah, and I started working with people, you know, just kind of my friends in my immediate circle at first to, you know, I was telling what I was doing and um, I was very skeptical about it at first, you know, in terms of like, all right, I need to be able to make sure that if I'm offering this, like it, it has to work, you know, like yeah, I yeah. just like felt like I, I didn't have any, have any basis for that. So, right. you know, I started very cautiously at first and, and realized, you know, the power of of knowing your your own genetics, knowing your tendencies, and and being able to match nutrition and other things very individually, and what that can do for people, and so that's kind of how I got launched into this path. And you know, it, it's it, in retrospect, it, it certainly wouldn't have happened without <laughs> without being in a weird, abusive, creative relationship, and without mm. having a bunch of weird health problems happen. So, in a way, I'm I'm grateful for, um, you know, not so much that experience itself, but my reaction and response to that experience, mm. uh, and kind of what I've been able to to do with it. So, yeah, it's. Um, a a uh, a transition that was an imperative you know it felt like a either do or die kind of situation with that so right it's uh, i think a pretty good example of post-traumatic growth yeah it's kind of like the jazz approach like it's not what note you play it's what note you play next mm -hmm. and i think that that really highlights that's honestly like a really beautiful thing that you were able to take something that was really difficult and you're able to actually still see gratitude in it and there's kind of that choice that you have to make after you've undergone something, especially when your health is involved. Um, oftentimes what happens is people hit a health snag and then they let themselves fall into that and then they identify through that. And it's like, well, this is just the way it is. But there's always that other, there's always something that you can do. And that's what I really like about your platform that you're utilizing now um, as you've started the um immunity wellness Facebook page, a lot of that like with the biohacking is like, what can you do now? What is the easiest thing that you can do to inch you a little bit closer to health? And that's something that I think you're an exemplar of. And I think it makes total sense seeing your story. Um, but I didn't know you worked at Moog. That's actually really cool too. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, it, and what you're hitting on there, it's all mindset. Yeah. You know, it's really yep. all mindset and it's all, yeah, are you going to identify with this thing that's happening to you as a part of your identity and who you are, or are you going to look at it as something that can be changed potentially? Yeah. And I, I love the way you phrase that in terms of the jazz approach. Yeah, it's, it's what you do next. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and it's not like, you know, jumping instantly to gratitude for something shitty that happens to you is yeah. like a good yeah. idea. It's like, that's it, a real process. Yep, yep. Because you could... But, 
you could do that as like, it could be bypassing, you know, there's like toxic gratitude where it's like, I'm so thankful for this, um, this gunshot wound, you know, it's like, you should just get to the hospital and <laughs> right, then like, right. you know, maybe later work it into your narrative. But, um, so I'm just curious for a lot of the folks listening, you said, uh, genetics and epigenetics. Um, I know cause I've done a little bit of research. I've been plugged into your work and just some of these conversations, but what is epigenetics? A lot of people know genetics are on a, on a surface level, but, um, yeah, the epi, what is, what is this about? Yeah, totally. So let's start with just defining genetics and then we'll move into epigenetics because they're pretty interrelated. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, your, your genes are the heritable code that you get from your parents that really, you know, creates the little differences, idiosyncrasies of your body. And, you know, we kind of know that the the DNA code itself doesn't change over time. Like your genes from when you're born to when you die are basically the same. You know, there's some mutations that might happen here and there, but for the large part, like you're going to have the same set of, of DNA that you have uh, your entire life. But, you know, what scientists discovered uh, really in the past 30 years, uh, and so this is a relatively new understanding is that even though that the the base code doesn't change, there's all of these other systems and these other layers that actually change the expression of that code. So you can kind of think about it like, okay, if you have a recipe for a cake, um, like it's kind of up to you at a certain point to be like, yeah, you know what? It didn't really taste that good when I had, when I followed the recipe perfectly, I'm going to like throw a little bit more salt in this time. And, you know, there's the opportunity to kind of change like shift what's happening based on the the feedback that you're getting from mm-hmm. the environment and so really the core of epigenetics is this response to the environment piece right it's so so your genes code for proteins and these proteins code for your traits they code for enzymes the cell structure all all of the parts of your body your hair color your eye color all of that is influenced by your genetic code but then we know that you're not just a static biochemical, you know, thing that doesn't change. You know, you 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 grow, you you respond to daytime and nighttime and stress and exercise and all of these things are mediated epigenetically in order to change those proteins, change those enzymes, change the hormones, neurotransmitters in response to what's happening. So, um, you know, a good example of this would be like circadian rhythm. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you need to have cortisol. If you have too much cortisol at night, you can't fall asleep. And on the flip side, like at night, you need to be able to create melatonin. And that shouldn't be happening at any of the times of the day. So these are these processes are triggered by environmental signals, so light and dark. And our body has photoreceptors and other things that kind of sense that and then send that information to the epigenetic processes or read by the epigenetic processes in the body to be able to say, all right, um, let's turn up the volume on the gene that creates more cortisol or starts that cascade and turn it down. So these things, you know, this, this is looking at a, a regular 24 hour rhythm. You also have things that happen developmentally, you know, uh, puberty, hair going gray, skin wrinkling, these all have epigenetic components in it as these products change in response to 
to eight to just time. But then you also have uh, things that are not necessarily what I would call uh, hard coded, you know, like that, like there's some natural shift that that happens over time. But say, for example, in response to stress or in response to exercise, you know, like everyone knows that exercise is one of the best things you can do. Um, but when you look at, okay, why is it actually good for you? Epigenetics is probably one of the best ways to articulate it. It's like, there's so many genes that in response to exercise that either get upregulated or downregulated that are, that's health promoting. And, you know, especially when you look at things like immune function and, and inflammation, muscle growth, all that, this is all kind of happening at a core epigenetic level. So what epigenetics ultimately says is that your genes really aren't your destiny. They influence it, but it's, more about what you do than what genes you have in a lot of cases and a lot of it is really about matching yourself with an environment that prompts or provokes positive genetic expression and on the flip side a lot of the modern diseases a lot of things related to environmental toxicity or poor nutrition all of these at their core have an epigenetic component that is De, you know, looking at a, a degradation type effect and, and a less functional thing. So, um, you know, it goes both ways, but there's a really big mindset shift around what health is and what the potential is when you can match yourself with the right environment. And so like when you look at longevity research, right, and uh, hear about the blue zones where people regularly live to be, you know, 90 to 100, and the question is, well, what is what what is the environment? What are the different inputs to the system that those people are experiencing there? That's different than say someone living, you know, in Kentucky eating McDonald's, you know, five times a week. It's like the, the there's uh, the gene environment interaction is much more important than just the genetics, which is what a lot of people thought for a while. And yeah. is a you know kind of commonly embedded mindset still that um, you know my depression is oh it's just genetic or this um, you know diabetes is genetic or uh, fill in the blank it's there's there's a sense of lack of control and epigenetics in a way gives you a little bit of control back in terms of the mindset around it. Wow. Yeah, it seems like uh, epigenetics are, it's like an interface for you to be able to like interact with the part of yourself that is like long, like ancient, you know, it's like what was handed to you. And this is kind of like handing you the controller to kind of be able to pilot your own destiny. Um, so I'm wondering, is it purely environmental processes that affect this? Or is there a subjective layer of it too? Because that was kind of my understanding was that your subjective experience and the way that you orient in the world um, through your uh, belief system actually can change um, your genetic uh, expression. Is that is that a thing that's being looked at? Yes, absolutely. I, I use the word environment very loosely, uh, okay, both to okay. mean external and then also the internal biochemical environment as well yeah. that is absolutely mediated by your thought processes and emotions and belief systems and all of that. And so, um, yeah, there, there seems to be in some ways, a, a deep intelligence of 
these epigenetic responses that is absolutely like absolutely responsive to your way that you're interfacing with the world and Mm. your relationships and all of that. Like when you look at factors that are uh, common in very long living people, people over a hundred, you actually find much more commonalities in mindset and belief systems and daily rituals. It doesn't matter what they are. It's more the act of having a daily ritual and what that does on a meaning level. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the meaning that seems to impact that more than, you know, any type of specific. Um, Those are the the commonalities more than eating a particular way or, or, you know, taking some magic herb or anything like that. So, yes, I think the the internal subjective way of of moving through the world is one of the most primary things. And I'll I'll Mm. say that in terms of the work that I'm enjoying doing now, it's actually less about the technical details of biochemical pathways and uh, kind of focusing on things from that perspective. And it is a lot more in terms of, you know, how to create meaning, how to create resiliency and get in touch with the deep ineffable part of self that inherently is enlivening and numinous and gives such depth and beauty to the neurochemistry and the, you know, kind of the physical reductionist scientific empirical lens it's like being able to say yes that's something we can modify and manipulate and get really detailed and personal with um but that only takes us so far you know that doesn't give life meaning and purpose and value that just allows us to to get our physical bodies up to speed in a way where maybe it might be easier to generate purpose and passion because you have a little bit more energy to do those things but it really is a, a marriage of of those uh, of the subjective and objective and 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 those two things that i think really goes into creating the most positive epigenetic expression and health and, and vibrancy yeah yeah, um, work like this has always really fascinated me in that it almost is like yoga in the fact that you're embodying your being in um, a more concerted way. This gives you like a map and a model to further step deeper into your level of awareness. But what's really cool about this is like yoga is very nestled in like Eastern language, which isn't really accessible to a lot of the Western mind. They see it and it's like, oh, this is like magical thinking when really it's a science. But this is actually nestled within our scientific Western understanding. And I feel like if you really dive deep into this work, it can kind of bring you into some very similar spaces. And um, you're just being a lot more mindful and aware of just different elements of your practice and your routine with um, stuff that like practices we can get into later. But I just think that the more channels we have to embody deeper using lenses that are more accessible, like to me, that's the most radical thing when 
someone says something is radical, it's like the most accessible. So that's something I wanted to capture with this show, which is another reason why I was really excited for this conversation because I do get the the inclination that you did kind of get a lot of your, uh, I guess, enculturation from like festival community, um, as did I, and you can hear it in your music. And um, I think that it's kind of a natural um, process to go from that community. You either have that choice to like stay or expand into these different liminal states. And um, I just think that you're providing a really healthy um, step forward for the people that are ready to do that work. Um, so what exactly does coaching look like for this? Yeah. So, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question in reference to some of the things you just said, because what you're describing around having language that bridges the gap between say Eastern practices like yoga and meditation in a way that can be understood from a Western empirical scientific mindset, you know, epigenetics really does give that language and capacity to look at these things in a way that, um, you know, really does fit our worldview, right? So some of the most exciting discoveries of epigenetics have been validating what are the effects of meditation? What are the effects of yoga? And when you look at it from an epigenetic perspective, well, there's thousands of genes that actually change expression with regular meditation practice. And, you know, if you need that, which to a degree I I did, you know, to say Mm -hmm. like, okay, now that I have a framework for understanding why some of this works beyond the kind of unnameable qualities of what it feels like to be, you know, deep in meditation or, or having an experience of connecting to something larger than yourself, like those experiences themselves, like have a measurable effect that is in the net positive direction. So, you know, the coaching itself incorporates all kinds of practices like that, that might not necessarily fit into what you think of as like, quote unquote, health coaching. It's like, let's, it's not about any type of rigid dogma. It's about just finding other things that work and move things in a net positive direction. So, um, you know, a lot of what I do is um, I do genetic analysis with people to look at specific genetic variants that we know have associations with certain responses to say different types of foods, different nutrients, things like that. And then we use that as a basis to say, all right, well, let's just narrow down the options of what's going to create optimal health from like a nutrition perspective, from supplements, herbs, that type of stuff. But then we also use, um, you know, daily ritual, daily practice. Um, and we work on the, the uh, the more subjective you know what what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with the deeper part of yourself that um might be obscured by the current state of western affairs you know it's like really getting into those pieces at the same time as dialing in the physiology um through a, a personalized you know, kind of precision way using also lab testing and um, various types of tracking methods to um, really know what we're doing is working, right? right. So there's the, I really see it as a, a, a blending of the 
kind of biohacking, masculine, empirical, uh, break everything down into its constituent parts, and then put it back together in a way that it is holistic, right? It's like, how can we, how can we assemble the knowledge of these, you know, small little tiny pieces back into something that's, that makes sense on a daily practice level and then combine that with what you might think of fitting more into a psychotherapeutic lens or, or something that's more, um, spiritual in nature to use that word which has a lot of baggage but it's true it's like you know how how are you expressing the the part of yourself that um you know is unseen and in relationship to the larger whole um it's it's like i i see the and this is maybe you know just my personal orientation where it's like i like working with people that see health not as the end goal but right. health as a bridge to mm-hmm. be able to embody something that really um really is impactful in, in some way so it's like uh health for health's sake okay it's great but health for sake of becoming more of who you're meant to be whatever that means to you like that's the that's what really kind of drives me at this point to do this work that's almost kind of like what drove you when you were met with a medical mystery that was uh, in front of you. You know, it's kind of goes back to that choice of if you identify with the ailment or if you choose, like you feel that, that, that drawing of like becoming more of who you are. Do you think that that's a, a necessary component of actually pursuing um, more expanded states? Hmm. I feel like it, it, certainly can be but sometimes those expanded states happen spontaneously and then are a catalyst right that for that so i I think it can kind of go in either direction but i I like that comparison i appreciate that yeah 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 everything kind of keeps coming back down to this idea of like the choice of like do you want to step into this expanded state of who you are or do you want to close and be constrained by the current predominant situation that you're in um so what I'm kind of interested in and what I've kind of, cause I come at things from, I'm like a little bit, maybe more woo. I, I, my main predominant thing is that I'm interested in how the subjective experience affects like physiology. And mm-hmm. like as a massage therapist, one of the key things I do is I bring people into this very open theta brainwave kind of state where like waking consciousness and sleep kind of like merges a little bit. And what I'm interested in, in is um, as we're ex- getting these healthy gene expressions through epigenetic choices, like you're helping people find lifestyle hacks. If people commit to those choices, does that kind of bleed into their hard-coded genetic? Is that something that gets passed down intergenerationally? Like if they have 15 years of healthy gene function um, where it's like the optimal state, does that become a part of who they are? Absolutely. And and that's part of it is the intergenerational transmission of this stuff. Um, and it's not entirely clear how much gets transmitted, but it is clear that portions of the epigenome or these marks that are on the genes that tell it how to express do get passed from generation to generation. And things like 
poor nutrition or obesity, diabetes, like they leave epigenetic marks on subsequent generations. And on the flip side, um, good health and positive gene expression does tend to get transferred as well. And this goes back to the you know, argument between Darwin and Lamarck, where Lamarck was the guy that was like acquired characteristics and everyone, you know, everyone laughed out of, laughed him out of the room because, um, they were like, oh yeah, if you like, you know, um, I can't remember, like there's something with the giraffe's neck example where like, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, if, if you stretch a giraffe's neck out, like it, it doesn't transfer to the next generation. And so like, but, but Lamarck's ideas have been shown to be true in, in oh. many cases in the last 20, 30 years. And there's, there's examples in humans that, so let me back up. Like it's, it's much easier to study this in rats and animals that reproduce really quickly because you can track these changes over time. Yeah. And there's really robust studies looking at uh, changes up to 10, 12, 15 generations down the road, say exposure to certain toxic chemicals or uh, malnutrition, that type of thing. It, it continues to show up. I mean, and, and but there are a few cases in recent human history where they've been able to track this um for example um there was a episode known as the dutch hunger winter where in in world war ii there was a blockade and people in holland there was a famine for about six months and when women that were pregnant during this time depending on which trimester they were pregnant in their children and then their grandchildren either would have highly increased risk of obesity or type 2 diabetes, or in some cases, actual protection from that, depending on what trimester they were in. So, by protection, do you mean like more of a natural immunity against it or mm -hmm. like lower okay. risk than average? Okay. Yeah. And you can think about this as the body is trying to respond to the environment in the moment and then set up future generations to have an adaptive response to that so you know something like obesity is in a lot of ways a response to to thinking that there's not enough calories to like store more calories as a maladaptive response and it's mm -hmm. um you know actually um a, an energy deficit with you know you think about obesity as something that um it's like they have too much energy stored but it's because the body can't actually use that energy so it keeps trying mm -hmm. to store more um but the, those epigenetic um responses you know are passed down and, and another one and this one is um one i've been very interested in because my grandparents on my mom's side are holocaust survivors um, wow. my grandfather was in several camps and uh, actually uh ran off into the woods and escaped on a death march two weeks before um before the camps were liberated oh and God. uh and but what they found is that children and grandchildren of holocaust survivors have higher risk of anxiety and depression and maladaptive stress responses and so Whoa. when i look at the um weird you know fight flight or freeze response thing that started happening to me when i was under a lot of emotional stress and not taking care of my body um, I have a feeling that there is somewhat of an imprint, you know, from that intergenerational trauma that, um, to some degree, I think I'm working to offset or reverse or heal, however you want to look at it. Like that's part of my path.
right now and, and yeah. part of what motivates me on a really deep um species wide level yeah. you know that it's it's not just about me at this point it's like okay me doing my inner work is a node in a sequence of many many other nodes throughout history and if we don't destroy ourselves hopefully you know many in the yeah. future yeah. so um so yeah you know it, it is intergenerational transmission in both directions where um working to um to create the best health for yourself now is something that will show up in the future and likely a lot of what we're seeing with chronic diseases and you know modern diseases that weren't here you know 100 150 years ago are the result of um this type of rapid epigenetic change in response to all of the crazy shit that we're putting in our environment changing our lighting electromagnetic food daily relational structure environment all these things are contributing so yeah. it's it's an unfortunate situation where we have to individually try and take control of this stuff and kind of work against a lot of the shit that's out there but it's part of it for sure yeah yeah i really like the idea of like kind of embodying your place in your family lineage and being able to like observe the recent or not so recent past and like making um, intentional changes so that you clean up your your vector of the the chain you know i really like that imagery and i think that that's kind of how we do make the changes that we wish to see in the world is like it does start from within and it's your own now moment you know like that's one of the most important things and this just gives you another like tool in the toolkit to be able to kind of clean up your corner of the world you know um so that's really fascinating um as you're helping people coach uh, or as you're coaching people and um understanding their specific genetic disposition what are some of the um i guess prescriptions i don't know if that's the right word what are some of the tools that you equip people with in their daily routine like what does that look like what's their mm -hmm. like homework you know sure so um it, it goes across the board so a lot of it is nutrition based a lot yeah. of it is like foundationally sleep you know if yeah. like working on getting quality sleep is probably the most important thing so that's typically you know what i'll work with people on and uh it's amazing how people don't really know the <laughs> the little things you can do to help you sleep better that are really simple um yeah. that you know if you're if you're not getting sleep you're not getting the the repair and regenerative processes you're not operating at a at a at full mental capacity so mm -hmm. um sleep modifying nutrition and diet uh, using herbs and supplements that um, create epigenetic changes. You know, when we think about um, herbs, like mm, a lot of what they're doing is at you know happening at an epigenetic level, changing genetic mm -hmm. expression. So when I'm able to kind of look at, all right, what are the genetic vulnerabilities? What are the things that we might want to upregulate or or downregulate can use specific herbs that kind of match that profile um you know exercise is obviously really important um some type of mind body practice meditation yoga uh, tai chi whatever it is that fits the person 
Um, you know, we might do some, I would maybe put this in more of like the quote unquote biohacking category, which I really hate that word. Like the more, <laughs> the more yeah. I, the more I engage with it, the less I like it. Cause it's like, you can't actually hack any of this. This is all right. just, there, there's nothing to hack. It's, it's open it, source. <laughs> it's open source. It, it's, uh, I heard someone recently say, and I, I'm not going to take credit for this, but, but bioharmonizing, right? It's really Ooh, bioharmonizing. Like I you're, like you're, that a lot. Um, and so that's you know what we're we're doing. So we might do stuff you know like infrared sauna or uh, cold thermogenesis or um, other types of peptides and more experimental interfaces and inputs to the body that type of thing. Mm. Um, and it's really dependent on, on what the person needs and where they're at and how much they're ready to integrate. And yeah. then of course, on the other side, it's, you know, a lot about finding what it is you're doing with your time that lights you up and makes you feel like you're, you're, you're doing the thing you're here to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, the processing of, habits for people like how do you actually form these new habits oftentimes gives a window into the deeper things that need to be worked on in, in life yeah. in general right so you know it's kind of like you do one thing like you do everything um so through the process of creating new habits building all this stuff you know there's, there's a lot of material that comes up that we work through around um you know self-sabotage and yeah, uh, yeah. self-awareness and, and patterns, family of origin patterns, things like that, that, um, you know, can be really powerful to work through and understand and begin to relate to in a way that, um, I would say ultimately is more self-accepting and mm -hmm. honoring of, you know, the process that, it, that we all go through when we start to make changes um yeah. so it's kind of all of those things right have you ever had clients that um, are interested in your work and they sit down for a consultation and then hear that they have to like put in effort and <laughs> then are like i'm good i'm gonna go somewhere else like how do you like navigate folks who like are interested in your work but don't want to put in do you have like a um kind of like a buffer like a, a hook to kind of get them to come deeper or what do you do to entice that uh, that's a good question. No one's ever asked me that, but it's definitely a thing that happens. People yeah. get scared of, of having to do the work. Mm -hmm. And I think that people will look at this and say, Ooh, magic genetic formula that will make <laughs> me into a superhuman cool. And it's like, okay, you, I could market it like that. Some people do. Um, but I've been trying to not frame it yeah. that way because it really does require the work. So like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've had clients that just drop out and I never hear from them again because they realize like, okay, this this is this is more than I anticipated. This is going to require input from my end. Uh, yeah. And it's rare, but it, it does happen. Um, and my MO is that I'm never going to convince someone to do something they don't want to do. Right. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm at least working, I'm at least filtering people you know, to make sure the current is flowing in the right direction. I might mm -hmm. do some things to make it a stronger current and kind of move it more in that direction, but I have no interest in going against the current. 
You know? Yeah, yeah, that's not your it's not your role, you know. That's something I gotta also keep in mind as a massage therapist is like the kind of practice I want is like, I wanna equip you with the tools to take your wellness into your own hands. And if you're not ready to do that, then I might not be the therapist for you because in order to like relieve chronic tension, you have to work on it every day. You can't just get a massage every two weeks or every four weeks and like, it's not working. It's like you have 30 years of tension building up here and it's like, it's your tension. You know, I can point it to you, but. So, and I'm, I'm glad that you uh, you don't paint it as like a magic pill that you take. And um, I think that that shows like your integrity with it because I feel like it would be really easy to do it if you're if you're thirsty for money or, you know, you're thirsty for clout or whatever, you know, it's, it's really easy to kind of market it as something that it might not be. So big ups on that. Um, yeah. And I mean, it does make it easier when you have the ability to narrow down options through the genetics, but it's like, okay, you still have to implement those options yeah yep yep but it's cool that you're even able to point them in that direction you know and then even if they don't do the work right now you could give them something and like well i'm gonna tell this guy to kick rocks he wants me to work but then months later when they're feeling really crummy they're like oh i remember that thing he said about sleeping completely in pitch black like i'm gonna give that a go and you know you're planting seeds you know Mm -hmm. yeah and i will i i talked like i talked to a uh, former client I had worked with maybe two years ago, uh, a couple months ago, and it was that story. It was like the w- I actually left our relationship feeling like it was kind of a failure. Like I didn't really give him what he wanted, and then he came back two years later and was like, "I started doing the stuff that you'd said that would help, and it helped, and now I feel great." You know, it's like it's sometimes yeah. it's on a different timeline, and I think yeah. as a practitioner, that's part of. Um, and I, I think you'll appreciate this. It, it's part of what we have to do is, is not be so attached to the outcome and really right. let people work on their own, their own schedule. Yeah. It's like you have your offering and you're just clearly expressing that offering kind of like a resonance and the people that are attracted to it. You just got to trust like at some level, like they're the ones who are meant to receive that resonating tone of information you're giving out and whether or not they like fully receive it, that's on them. But for you, all you have to do is just keep on expressing and keep on learning and being and uh, just trust, you know, that was something my teacher told me was like, just trust whoever ends up on your table is meant to be on that table for that experience. So um, to not get too attached into the outcome, I think for any practitioner is super important, you know, because we're the ones doing it every single day. We have to maintain our integrity in order to um, provide the best possible service. Um, so, yeah, that's that's interesting. What is a what does a first session look like? Do you start with the blood work and like get the map right off the bat or do you kind of screen people to like see if they're going in the direction you're wanting to help with yeah so it kind of depends uh mostly what i'll do is i i offer free 30 minute consultations for anyone that's interested and that's usually the the time where i figure out if we're a good fit to work together in the first place um and then from there usually what we'll do is um we'll do the genetic analysis but it takes about three weeks for the data to process Mm -hmm. so between then and when we get the data back i'll do a long like a long first session usually spend about 90 minutes where we really go deep on uh goals and history and like what you've tried what you haven't tried um and really start to you know develop a context for what i'm looking at in the genes because yeah 
a lot of it is really understanding who I'm working with and what right. they're they're here to to learn and get out of it. And the more I understand that, the more I can really hone in on what are going to be the most valuable practices for someone. Right. Um, and then I do have a couple clients where, um, you know, we actually haven't done any genetics and we're really just working on things from a habit change perspective where, um, it, and, and from more of a, a psychological perspective, um, I'll also say I'm, I'm getting a, a mental health counseling degree right now. So that's oh, part cool. of my, uh, part of my path, I'm not a licensed yeah. counselor, but I, I do tend towards that work and will be a licensed counselor at some point here soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have some clients where we're really just working on, um, you know, the habit formation and identifying how to change patterns that they want to change. So oh. it, it depends. Um, I yeah. like doing both, but, um, for some people, one is, you know, really more appropriate than the other. And I'll also say, I also have some clients where I just do a genetic analysis and we don't do any coaching work. You know, it's really just yeah. the, Hey, here's the information about your body. And that works great for some people that are mm -hmm. especially self-motivated and, you know, have been doing this type of stuff on their own for a while and really just want the next level of information. So I, I do that too. Right. Well, so I really like that with um, the first session that you have, because it kind of like is creating a container where you're able to spin a narrative. And it's like, I'm sure you equip them with the tools to like, co like to be the author and you like co-author and create like, a story it's like here's where you're coming from where do you want to go and that'll allow you to kind of help guide them to that but that's really important because it kind of ties into that like the subjective experience of your interaction is what's motivating them towards its completion you know and i think that that's that's really powerful and i think really important as a practitioner to have that experience with your clients you know yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sometimes people come in thinking they need one thing and it's not that at all. Like I recently did a first session like that with a client. Um, and the biggest thing she needs to change is she needs to find a new job that she likes, you know, and that, that just became very evident at, during the mm -hmm. conversation. And it's like, okay, yeah. we can do all these other things, but you're still going to be miserable, you know, doing this yeah. thing that you hate. So yeah, yeah. Let's, you know, kind of focus on that. And and that's what I mean by being kind of a holistic thing where it's like, um, I, I want to know those things. I want to yeah. know what you're doing. Yeah. And, and because you're, of course you're going to be depressed if you're, you're not enjoying your life, yeah. even if you have the perfect nutrition and the perfect set of supplements, it's like, that's just kind of working against the flow. Yeah. Yeah. If there's like a massive part of your life that is kind of like weighing you down like i'm sure that even would affect the epigenetics you know like if you're not expressing in a healthy vibrant way for 40 hours out of your week then like that's going to have an impact you know that's going to change like the chemicals in your body and you just you're walking upstream through mud you know it's like doesn't matter how well you eat you know so that's that's interesting yeah and and just to speak to that to give it some uh empirical grit um there was a study that was done at ucla in 2015 by a guy named stephen cole who studies epigenetic expression of the immune system and they looked at a group of people 
and had them fill out a survey around happiness and stratified them into two groups where they identified people that predominantly got their happiness in a hedonic way versus a eudaimonic way. And hedonic is, you know, more pleasure-based, sensory, like going out partying and, and predominantly getting their pleasure in life from that. Um, eudaimonic comes from a Greek word, uh, eudaimonia, that basically means like in, um, in alignment. Um, and it, it has to do with getting happiness from, from purpose and, and feeling like you're doing the thing you're meant to do. Mm-hmm. And subjectively, people all rated themselves about equally happy. But when they broke people apart by where they were deriving that sense of happiness from, the eudaimonic group actually had a much better epigenetic immune profile. Wow. And so there is, a, at some level, some type of intelligence, um, you know, to aligning with that type of work or ty- a type of, of using your time in a way that feels deep and rich and authentic and, and purposeful. And there's even some people that, like, have you know, suggested that this is a socially evolutionary adaptive kind of function of the human system to basically promote um, actions and, you know, work and, and all the stuff that, that is benefiting the, the overall good. Like there is to some degree a, um, a knowingness you know we look at it we kind of anthropomorphize it and at the same time like i think there is a deep animistic quality to all of this that you know goes beyond what we can measure in, in science and so i'm yeah i'm, I'm there with you on that nice. um but at least if we want to talk about it in kind of western empirical terms like there, there probably is an evolutionary advantage to having better health for things that are good for the community in a way right right yeah, it makes total sense us being social creatures for there to be as many um, uh, as many genetic drives to be able to be a part of the community, you know. So I wouldn't doubt if there's already some research out there that points to that direction. Um, so I'm curious now because the last time I plugged in with you and your content, you were talking about um, the endocannabinoid system. And I'll admit, I like had an inkling, like, I kind of know what that is, but I recently did some studying and realized I had no idea what it was. (laughs) And it's a really fascinating part of the body. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to open the floor for you to be able to um, talk people through this because our relationship with cannabis um, in this day and age, like whether you are partaking or not partaking, is it's a pretty important part of I guess, Western society at this point, you know, it's really opening the floodgates on a lot of new ideas and ways of being. And as it's getting normalized, I think talking more candidly about it is uh, important. So what exactly is this test that you have recently developed and um, what motivated you to get involved in this? I, I, I see the correlation between the epigenetics and this kind of work, but a lot of people might not be able to draw that conclusion. So yeah, where did, uh, how'd you get involved with this? Sure. So just to give a little background for anyone who's listening, um, I've spent the last two years or so working on a genetic test that gives insight into the functioning of the endocannabinoid system and, uh, 
can help predict and understand response to THC and CBD in a number of different ways. And I started looking into this because after I had done the training on the nutrigenomics, the, the nutritional genetics side of thing and started using that, I realized that there was, or I've found, you know, on PubMed and, and other sources, information about studies that had been done on cannabis and genetics and the individual response. And I realized that there was not a lot of people talking about this and there wasn't really much being done with it. And so I started experimenting with my clients and running their genes and looking at this and, um, with Dr. Stickler, the guy that I initially mentored with and trained with, um, we've come out with a, a test that you can take to help understand like THC and CBD metabolism and things like that. Um, but to, you know, just talk about what the endocannabinoid system is, it is, and, and let me preface that preface it like this, like anandamide, which is one of the main cannabinoids in the body was discovered in in like 1992 serotonin was discovered in the 1930s and the mm. opioid receptors were discovered in the 70s so if you wow. just think about the timeline uh mm -hmm. you know we knew opioids existed before them but we didn't understand the physiology of them right until the yeah. 70s so if you think about the timeline of this and how long it takes for just raw scientific basic research to filter out first into clinical practice then into like universities and then into mainstream public awareness like there's a real lag in time between you know just the raw research and and like not public knowledge so it's pretty normal i think for people not to really be aware of this but you know thanks to the internet thanks to people talking about it there is more awareness but um the thing i want people to understand is that the endocannabinoid system exists in every single cell of the body like every other system is influenced by the endocannabinoid system the immune system the um skeletal musculoskeletal system uh neurotransmitters neurotransmission everything in the body like there's not a single cell in the body that that does not have endocannabinoid receptors on them and so the endocannabinoid system ta is talking about these receptors on every cell it's talking about these molecules we create called endocannabinoids that are very structurally similar to thc and cbd so they exist in the cannabis plant and they exist in in humans and other mammals, other animals. And if we think about it from an evolutionary perspective, um, you know, it's because we likely had a common ancestor that, you know, these structures derive from, and then we can interface with the cannabis plant in that way. But this system and these molecules we create on our own endogenously without any external input act as a regulatory system in the body. They, um, and, and it acts on, like all of the very basic um, survival functions, like eat, sleep, rest, digest, uh, relax, you know, reward, all of these things that drive human behavior are influenced by the endocannabinoid system. And so this is one of the reasons why it's almost 
comical how many things CBD is supposed to be good for and how many people have said, you know, CBD helps with fill in the blank. Well, it's because this system is so pervasive and so ubiquitous. And when there's an imbalance in it and someone does something like, you know, take CBD that might kind of uh, shift that balance in their body, it can create some pretty profound effects. Um, and like to give you a real concrete example, um, synapses, neurotransmission is controlled by an endocannabinoid feedback loop. So like when you think about dopamine or serotonin or any of these other neurotransmitters um, being emptied into a synapse and causing that electrical discharge on the other side, the endocannabinoid system, um, there are these endocannabinoids that are actually synthesized on demand in the presynaptic terminal and postsynaptic terminal and help to prevent over-transmission or under-transmission of that neurotransmitter. So it actually basically helps to be able to say, all right, all right, we got enough or we don't have enough of this signal. And every time there's a nerve transmission in the body, the endocannabinoid system is involved in regulating that. Wow. So you think about how just basic of a process that is, like everything it's fundamental. Influenced by that. It's fundamental, right? So this is one of the reasons why people are so excited about the potential of cannabinoids as medicine is because it's really able to modulate and shift these super basic underlying functions in a way that's almost like having a backdoor to a system where we've been trying in a lot of ways to like, you know, pound down the front door. So yeah. um, the that's, you know, kind of basic overview of it and and um the reason why genetics play a role is you know like all these other systems in the body you have these instructions for say different enzymes that break down endocannabinoids or instructions for your endocannabinoid receptors that can be shaped a little bit differently or function a little bit differently depending on how your genetics are wired or how they're coded. And so by looking at what those differences in the code are, you can understand, you know, my someone that naturally carries higher or lower endocannabinoid levels. And how does that relate to a variety of different symptoms or um, functions in the body? And uh, am I someone that breaks down THC really fast or slow? And how that you know, impacts the subjective experience of, of being high. And um, there's all kinds of genes that seem to influence cognitive function with THC. Some people that function really well on it. Some people that just sit on the couch and, you know, can't find their keys. And there's actual um, pretty good studies that have linked certain genetic variants to those different responses. Um, you know, similarly, while I'm a thousand percent pro cognitive liberty and you should put whatever you want in your body. I think it's equally important to know risk factors of whatever you're mm -hmm. doing. And it's been known for a long time that THC and schizophrenia and psychosis have a relationship. Um, and there seem to be certain vulnerable people that have specific genetic variants that make them more vulnerable to that. So that's another thing that is able to be screened for. And it's especially important if you have family history or anything like that. Um, and my perspective on that is like, you know, it's our responsibility as pro decriminalization, pro legalization people 
to include that in the conversation and not whitewash over it because it yeah. s supposedly doesn't you know help our cause no it, it does help the cause to take an objective unbiased depoliticized view at, at this and look at it from like a physiological perspective so um you know i, I think um you know in, in terms of how to optimize cannabis use especially for people that are, are wanting to try it as a medicine or wanting to get into it like having some personalized information can be pretty useful kind of know yeah what to i can see that so i'm wondering um on like the cellular level with the way that the endocannabinoid system kind of like regulates um, the transmission of signal, is there a possibility that that function could become um, compromised and it won't deregulate? Like it'll just be like an open channel. Is there um, any sort of dysfunction that cannabis may exacerbate or um, help with that allows a healthier transmission? Is that making sense? Yeah. And I, 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 I think so. And, and what you're just, I, 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 yes, I think it can go in both directions. And you look at something like cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, where, are you familiar with that? No, no. Okay, so this is, again, this is one that is not very popular to talk about, but it's something that's become more prevalent, where um, it, it's, it, it can be both in regular cannabis users, it seems to be more prevalent in people that use dabs or really high THC concentration products, but it, it can also be kind of random, um, where there's a severe dysregulation of the endocannabinoid system that causes vomiting and temperature dysregulation, oh. and it's it it's it can be it can be life threatening in certain cases because people can't keep down food uh, oh. or or water, and it's it's very is that close only when they have consumed cannabis, or is that they do it once and then they're in that state. Uh, it can go in in a number of directions. Okay. It seems like like some people experience it when they get high, but then other people, if they go too long without smoking, that will happen after gotcha. it they get after it's initially triggered. And so mm. for some people, it's like finding this balance. Um, other people can't do it at all. It, it's very closely related to cyclic vomiting syndrome in mm. the the mechanistic kind of quality and, and um, there's certain genes in, in the cannabinoid receptor family that have been identified related to it, but it's really not well understood. Um, but that's definitely a dysregulation of the endocannabinoid system. But a lot of what, you know, a lot of other common things have an endocannabinoid component to them. Uh, for example, auto, a lot of autoimmune diseases like MS and Parkinson's uh, seem to have an endocannabinoid deficiency component to them. Um, same thing with some types of anxiety, same thing. Um, uh, actually, autism has a component to it um in some cases and it's you know again there's different subtypes and it's not all across the board um, but then on the flip side um obesity and metabolic syndrome actually tend to be associated with an excess of endocannabinoids mm. like excess cannabinoid tone so what's really um kind of the crux of it is it seems like there's a optimal kind of range like a u-shaped response curve in a way where you want like the right amount of endocannabinoid relation you know uh, regulation not too much not too little um and you know for the most part i think people's bodies are pretty good at being able to 
uh, kind of find that balance. But then that's why CBD can be so helpful for people on the deficiency side. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's probably not going to help you lose weight because of the way that it impacts, um, you know, metabolic syndrome and storage and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty pervasive. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, but to answer your question, like, yes. And there's so many things that don't necessarily yeah, seem like yeah. it's neurotransmission related, but that type of regulation is yeah. there. Yeah. So is there a chance, have you ever taken a test and kind of gotten results that like someone shouldn't participate in CBD usage? Cause like, I like, I like to say, like, I got 99 problems and CBD cured all but one, you know, <laughs> like it's kind of being prescribed for like everything. Is there, um, physiologies that actually don't work with it very well or is it pretty accessible for everybody i haven't seen anything yet in the literature that really suggests cbd is a problem definitely you've had some people where i'm like yeah you probably don't want to use thc yeah um yeah. but with cbd there really doesn't seem to be a lot of downsides the, the only thing that um tends to crop up is like if people are taking other medications there can be um, there can be interactions with those medications depending on what metabolic pathway they used to be broken down. So that's actually something that in the test we can tell if someone is more prone to those types of side effects and interactions from it. Yeah, man, I feel like this kind of work and this this test that you've developed is like, this should be mainstream, man. Like you're kind of like on the cutting edge of like, I even feel like nutritionists should be utilizing this because, I mean, when you look at, like, it's the things coming into your body and, like, this is a major part of our society now. So I, I think this work is really inspiring and really interesting. So thank you for taking the time to really sink into that. Yeah. Well, it's coming. I mean, like, the the um one of the nutrition organizations recently released like uh like some guidelines on on genetic testing and like it's slowly starting to be integrated yeah. into education but i don't have a timeline for what that looks like but yeah yeah so is it is the test um is it public yet or is it still being worked on and um it is public um okay. and i also um i'm training other practitioners now um cool wonderful to, to how to use it so um yeah if you're listening and you're interested in getting your genes tested at all for endocannabinoid function or anything else feel free to send me a message yeah. and, and do that yeah that's i'm sure we'll, i'll have all the links to all your information available so if you're listening just um check in the description and you'll be able to get connected that way um so i did have another question um, but I don't really think that that's that important. So um, let's go on to immunity. This is probably going to be the last thing, but I think it's super pertinent right now um, for uh, the fact that we're in a pandemic and, you know, our president just got it. And um, there's a lot of uncertainty on just how to, like, take care of yourself. A lot of people are just kind of leaning into the public discourse, which isn't really putting um, discipline on the map at all. It's just kind of like wear a mask and hide. <laughs> but... Um, it seems like there's a lot of things that we can be doing. And I know I've, I've plugged into your online community, um, the wellness group, which I can also post a link. I don't know if that's private or if I should have said that, but you can, you can put that out, out there. That's okay, cool. cool. Um, but yeah, we, uh, you did a webinar where you 
just went over a bunch of things that you can do to like boost your defense. So I'm just kind of wondering for the listeners out there, like what would you suggest? I mean, in the face of a unknown respiratory illness, um, do you have anything that you would offer as a uh, potential addition to people's wellness practice? Well, you know, I, I think that what you're getting at around like wear a mask and hide, like maintaining maintaining contact with the natural world and getting sunlight and being outside is probably the most important thing I can think of. Just yeah. like making sure that you're not completely cutting yourself off from nature and actually, um, you know, continuing to move your body and, uh, and yeah, sunlight is just incredibly powerful. Um, yeah. I mean, from a, from a supplement perspective, um, you know, I, I think making sure your, your vitamin D levels are up is, is really important. Uh, that has seemed to emerge as, uh, one of the best predictors of severe COVID, um, cases is low vitamin D. So, um, both supplementing, getting in the sun, really important. Um, vitamin C also seems to be very helpful and also melatonin, which like, again, coming back to sleep, like you need to be able to produce your own melatonin. Like you can supplement it, you can, but if you're not doing things to opt to like get your body to create it by like having a normal sleep, a good sleep rhythm and um, sleeping in, in total darkness in a cool room and, um, you know, really focusing on that, like you're at, you're at risk. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, Zinc is also important, making sure you're getting good amounts of zinc. And um, I, 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 for the most part, like there's there's not anything that fancy to do. It's more about the basics. It's more about, um, you know, exercise and sleep and keeping your mental health. And, yeah. a, and a, which, you know, is not an easy challenge or not an easy thing for, for a lot of people right now with, with this, mm -hmm. with the situation, yeah. but developing resiliency and, and stress management techniques and operating from a place that is not fearful. Yeah. However you manage that, I think is pretty important. So when you look at, um, studies that have been done on like, um, fear and, secretory iga which is an immune marker like people that are in a in a state of fear and panic like tend to have lower immune system function which right. you know kind of uh it's a perfect storm right for for a pandemic um but yeah really you know focusing on on relaxation techniques exercise sunlight vitamin c vitamin d seems to be the the big ones it's kind of the biggest disservice I think that uh, our media apparatus has done during all of this is like just hyper-focused. Like I remember those first few weeks when everybody was glued and like we're all like just super absorbed into like the most fearful of all content. Like this is the end of our civilization and there was no positive spin there was just like this spiral of negativity and now you're seeing all the memes like ah fuck 2020 and it's you know like there's very little talk on the proactive ways to navigate this. So I've been trying to be consistent in my like 
my content that I put out in like, hey, like life is still has a lot of beauty and there's a lot of things to show up for. Just because I think like holding space for um, lightness is just is one of the healthiest things we can do for each other. You know, and um, I think like with the wellness group that you posted, I mean, a lot of it, we, we were keeping up on the news, but we were also like a ton of memes and like, it was just like really healthy to be a part of, you know, in that webinar we had just meeting everybody else who's like interested in like embodying their wellness. It was just a really good moment. I think that was in like May, I don't remember, but mm -hmm. um, it was just good to connect with everybody and um, like have that conversation and pool our thoughts together and um yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that I, I'm not too conspiratorial. I don't think that there's like a overarching plot to make everybody fearful, but I just think it's it's super important to like be mindful that like there are people profiting off of your fear and they're gonna keep you in that cycle. So it's important to keep some sort of positivity, you know, for your health, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the community aspect of it is like maintaining relationships through through this is is super yeah. important. And yeah. I'm glad you got some you got that out of that yeah. that, that webinar and that the group cuz that, you know, that was the point and I appreciate you holding space for that lightness and that positivity and not not blind positivity, not right. you know, it's not bypassing what is happening. Yeah. But being able to expand the capacity to f to focus on more than one thing at a time and see things as multifaceted and multi-layered and um you know move beyond the tendency to catastrophize yeah. in every yeah. aspect yeah. it's like okay we can, we can how, how how do we um not let the the situation bleed out into every aspect of life like yes right. most aspects of our lives are affected but how do we navigate that in a way that um you know still honors and, and allows space for all of the other the the full spectrum of what it still means to be a human embodied right now yeah. on this planet yeah. like there's there's a lot of shit and there's a lot of really awesome shit so yeah. You know, I think it really is about being able to make space for, for all of it. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, the Terrence McKenna quote, um, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but essentially, like, don't consume culture, like, create your own roadshow. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're starting to see with uh, the way that the media has kind of guided all of us, it's like our culture and what's healthy are at odds end. And we're finally starting to feel that tension because like what our bodies and what our communities are needing are us to show up and be more present for each other. But the way our media is, it's like it preys on like fear, you know, it like it relies on you feeling like you need to tune in to catch up with the breaking news. So it creates this negative feedback loop where we're just kind of like activating our nervous systems when they don't need to be activated. You know, so in like stepping more into the moment and less on that narrative that like everything's ending, you know, I think that uh, like we're really, it's the pedal of the metal right now. And it's like, who do we want to be and how do we want to show up in our, in our lives, you know? And um, I think that the more you create community and the more you create content, you know, which is why I'm doing this podcast, you know, in the, in the face of all the darkness, it's like, let's start having conversations that are able to shine light rather than to just consume this narrative that we know is bad for our physiologies at this point, you know, totally. I th 
think with like tests, like you're all the work you're doing, you know, it equips people with the ability to look inside themselves and to like become empowered, you know? And I think that, I don't know, again, I'm not conspiratorial, but it's kind of a big threat to the way of the land right now. So I think that this is like the wild west of like, it, it's up to us to create a new culture that people can plug into and then feel inspired and expand, you know? Um, and I notice this a lot with the folks who've been at Rootwire, you know, I always bring <laughs> it back to that. Um, just there was a, there's a bubble in the Midwest that it, it since popped, but all the people that were involved are like doing really deep, important work, you know? Um, and I'm sure there's many of those bubbles all across the United States. I was just the one I was lucky enough to be a part of. Um, yeah. So I'm sorry. I saw you about to start. Yeah. Well, I, it, it's interesting you bring that up because I feel like in a lot of ways that kind of quote unquote transformational festival scene, um, it, it had a lot, I mean, it definitely had a lot of influence on what, I, I see as possible in terms of community relationships and building something that um, is different than the norm, right? And it's like for all of the the shortfalls and the uh, lack of substance that can happen at, at places like that, there really is a group mind magic thing that happens there, you know, that we are not able to express in a, in a, you know, typical kind of regular culture kind of way. And it is, it is opposite to the culture, you know, that we're, yeah. we're surrounded by. Um, and I, I, what you were saying around, like, you know, people that were in that crew that now are doing other things. I think there's a real, um, a real, truth and value to what it is that we learned in those settings that now we're like trying to spread and seed in a more tangible adult like impactful way that's not just going to a field for three days and doing drugs and partying but it's taking what the meaningful deep value of conversations and being in relationship with people and like being able to trust strangers, you know, like, like that's such a rare thing. It's like, mm -hmm. if you look at what the, the festival environment is and like, of course there, there's stuff that happens there that isn't ideal, but for the large majority, it's like you have a greater trust and communionship with a couple thousand strangers than you do with your neighbors, you know, yeah. live in the yeah. next house to you because you've, you've like created this container that says like, okay, we're, we're here to, um, to just accept each other and hang out. And yeah. there, there's so much positivity and value to helping people have experiences like that, even in small micro ways that yeah. is so enlivening and, and valuable to the human spirit. And it's like those festivals and those experiences, I think gave me a taste of that not because those were sustainable things that like, that's how you, I, I, you know, that stuff is going to filter out into the world, but it's like, how can we channel that and encapsulate that through the work that we're doing now? Mm -hmm. um, and, and how can we, you know, incorporate it into incorporate the vibe, incorporate the underlying energy 
into something that feels different than the 24 seven fear-based news cycle. And mm-hmm. on that note, you know, I have to say like, <laughs> I think COVID has been such a wake up call for people who have not fully previous to this realized the failure of culture to reflect something that is enlivening to the human spirit and is in is a is in alignment with you know the earth and like what it means to be alive in a way that's like good <laughs> and i and yeah. you know i really just i don't know how else to say it um culture that's, is the yeah, an, culture is the antithesis of that modern in many ways there's good aspects to it but um but I, but COVID has not actually really exposed much to people that were already paying attention to this, yeah, that were already yeah. aware of it. And I think that, that, that that's one of the big distinctions when you look at the kind of culture shock that's happened because of COVID. It's like people all of a sudden are realizing that the kind of cultural edifice that they placed their sense of identity and self and and collective identity in like there's a a dying of that trust in it for them yeah. for a lot of people mm-hmm. if you happen to realize that this whole thing was out of whack and out of alignment previously it's like okay covid is just you know shining a, a bigger light on it i already i already saw this it's like yeah like personally like I'm not shocked by anything that's happened yeah, here. It's like, yeah, yeah. like this is just an extension of what we've already been doing and leading up to. So I, I think there's a responsibility in a way for people that have like been um, deeply aware of the inconsistencies and the hypocrisy and the problems in modern culture that um, don't treat the earth as a sacred object, don't treat relationships as something that is... You know, or let me rephrase that: treat the earth as a sacred subject. You know, that actually yeah, like yeah. gives it gives it a sense of, of aliveness, and yeah. um, you know, and, and and like that, I feel like is a very core issue in, in our society. Like that, a lot is, of the yeah. stuff is stemming from right. Um, but it's like there's kind of a responsibility, I think, of, of people who have like kind of gone through a death and rebirth cycle at least once around culture to. Yeah. Um, lead the way and shine a light a little bit for people that are just going through that for the first mm-hmm. time. You know? Yeah. That's what, I mean, honestly really called me to like step up in my expression too was, um, you know, I do feel like a kind of a sense of responsibility because I've had such beautiful experiences in my life. Like I've experienced bliss, like things that like a lot of people, it's such an alien concept. So with that kind of comes this like power and responsibility to do whatever you can within your sphere of influence to be able to like shine that light, you know? So I think COVID, it's one of the first times people have really been met with their body. You know, I feel like, especially with the United States culture, it's very mentally focused. We're driving towards a destination. We don't know what the destination is because it keeps moving, but we're so disconnected from our bodies. So we've had this like severing of all of our collective story. And it allows us to like, now we're like thinking about our body in just a different way. You know, it's like our body in relation to this deadly pathogen that, um, you know, he's like always lurking around the corner. So it's an opportunity to kind of recalibrate, you know, and um, do you think that it potentially is a turning point? 
it's hard to say because we're all from our perspective, but like for me, it kind of seems like this has an opportunity to really set us in like a, a avoid the iceberg, so to speak. Mm, I'm not hopeful. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, optimi- that's fair. I, I'm optimistic as a yeah. general yeah. Uh, orientation, but I, I'm not hopeful. I, I, I yeah. don't think that this is going to change um, larger scale culture at large. I think there's a lot of opportunity for kind of the more micro climates mm-hmm. to coalesce and, and emerge. Um, but no, I, I, I kind of think that we're driving culture off a cliff and um, this is just the first bump. And like, you know, as much as I want to look at this as, um, you know, uh, something that will cause us to divert that, I I just, I haven't seen, and I was very hopeful actually at the beginning of this look going, oh, look, uh, a wake up call for society. Great. Like, um, but no, I I haven't really seen that um, at large. There's been kind of some instances where it's exacerbated the negatives, <laughs> yeah. even, you know, the divisiveness. I mean, especially now that we're not connected to our neighbors in a physical space, like we've plugged into like the social media space and like it's in us first them. And it's so concrete now that it's like almost a joke. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Know, well, I, I see... mean, it's hard. It's hard to like, you know, predict because like just to tie it back into like, okay, I made all these positive changes in my life because it was like this super intense shitty situation um you know may, maybe that's what this will also turn out as and i think yeah. in the long run it will um yeah. but i think it kind of depends on what time span we're looking at yeah and, you yeah know, yeah in terms and of any, that divisiveness yeah yeah, I mean, if you're playing with time spans, like you just keep making it bigger until it works out. You know, it'll always work out someday, yeah. some lifetime. Yeah. That it's not really usable for, you know, the day to day. Yeah, we're talking or, about humans in the picture or not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Earth will be fine. I love that George Carlin joke where he's like making fun of people who are like, "Let's save the Earth." And he's like, "Save the Earth? Like the Earth is gonna be fine. Like it's us that we need to save." <laughs> it's like, oh, that's right, that's right. Um. Cool. Well, I think we're uh, kind of getting to time. I don't want to take up too much of your day. Um, is there anything you want to leave people with? Uh, like, where can people find you? Sure. Um, my website is david-krantz, K-R-A-N-T-Z dot com. And I've got a bunch of articles, got a lot of them on the endocannabinoid system and genetics. And um, yeah, if anyone's interested in getting their genetics analyzed, I do offer free 30-minute consultation so you can book it online or uh just send me a message um and uh yeah it's been a real really good conversation really appreciate the time yeah i appreciate you man uh thanks for all the years of content and entertainment and inspiration it's always good is there anything you want to leave off on on like a maybe optimistic note or i don't know just like anything that you think would be important going forward into the next week for people or you can choose to not, you know, if there's nothing coming to you, but mm. just like closing thoughts, closing you know? thoughts, you know, I, I'm, I'm always, I always like to leave it here. Just like stay curious, you know, there, there, yeah. what, what is it that is catching your attention? Go into it. Um, you know, the, the process of 
everything good that I've experienced in my life has basically been a process of me being curious. So uh, I don't know if it works like that for everyone, but um, really allowing that to be a, um, an attracting force, you know, it's like, what, what is that for you? Um, I feel like that's one of the, the lights and dark times is like, what, what is it for you personally that is exciting and interesting? And even if it seems obscure and like, you know, not going to like impact the world in a positive way, like, like it doesn't have to be that it, it just, you know, whatever it is for you that makes you feel alive, like just do it, whatever it is. Yeah. I got a buddy who's really interested in ham radios. Cool. And he, his like big thing was like, I got to talk to someone from like Yugoslavia and was just super geeked and like, it, say which one about ham radios, but he was lit up. Like he was, he had a lot of like energy about it. It was like, that's your thing. Nice. Not what I would have thought of, but yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And it's like, like I, I don't know. I, I love talking to people that have obscure interests like that and can yeah, just talk yeah. to tell me about it. Like, I want to know yeah. you have a, a set of knowledge that I don't have. And that's, yeah. that's so, that's just, it, it's, it's, there's no way to put value on something like that. Right. Right. Awesome. Well, David, this has been wonderful. I hope you do well in the future. Um, hopefully at least one person will reach out to you from listening. That's always my hope is that I can hook my friends up with just even one client, you know, it'd be really cool. Um, as yeah, I guilt well, trip all my listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, at the very least, I hope that the people listening, you know, enjoyed the conversation and yeah. And, and sparked some, some new thoughts. So, um, until next time, uh, you have yourself a good day, man. You too. All right, folks, that was the episode. Uh, you can find David at all the links that are going to be listed down below. I really implore you giving him a look. See if anything, listen to Few Texture. It's a really wonderful project, as you can hear right now. Um, yeah, I've been listening for close to a decade now and uh, always has something really nice. So, um, yeah, until next week, I hope you all have a great time. Remember to get outside, soak up some sun. Apparently, we're about to have some nice weather coming up for the upcoming week and uh yeah stay healthy y'all love you